So, Pastor Jay, it's good to uh, be able to talk with you. And um, you're my brother in the Lord, and uh, we've been friends for a number of years, and you were uh, one of my early episodes of Along the Way, and we had some real conversations there, and I learned a lot of things about your life that I didn't realize, um, or obviously that I didn't know uh, beforehand. And um, we're in our we're in this world today that is a it's a uh, there's a chaos going around the world, and I wanted to have an opportunity to, to address it in, in this uh, in this podcast. And uh, we're, you and I are sitting on the on the set here at Cornerstone uh, because we just had an hour long program dealing with racism in this country. And um, God spoke to me to have a conversation with you that we're trying to demonstrate as a body of Christ, as believers of what, um, of how to have these conversations and Mm -hmm. how to do that. And um, so thank you for giving me some time to let me hear from your experience um, as an African-American man, um, the things that I don't understand about about your life and the things that you go through on a regular basis. Hopefully, not every day, but uh, um, but thank you for allowing me to join you along your way. Yeah, my, my pleasure, John. Uh, it's always good to be with you. And I remember our first chat, and obviously this is coming at a very unique time. Yeah. And uh, um, I'm honored to be able to speak to these things. And uh, so people know that my heritage is white and black. I'm mixed. But I tell people this all the time. I said, if I was born in slavery days, I'd be picking cotton. <laughs> because if you were mixed, uh, the only thing that they might do for you in slavery times is they would let you, I could work in the big house. Mm-hmm. because I was lighter skinned. The darker people are always out in the field, but the lighter skinned people were always in the house. So I might've been cooking up meals or something along that line, but I still would be in a slave role. I would not be a free man. So uh, it's an honor to be able to speak to these things and uh, whatever you got, shoot. Yeah, so I just wanna talk with you about this whole thing that happened with George Floyd yeah. last week. I mean, I've <laughs> seen the video. Um, honestly, those types of videos are not something that I seek out to watch i've that type of stuff bothers me and i know that and um i felt like this was an important one to watch and so i watched the whole thing and it broke my heart um and it broke my heart even more after after the fact and i found out that he was a he's a believer and there, somebody posted a picture of him holding up a bible above his head with a group of guys and i i promise you that I haven't had a chance to actually work with the man, but when I, whenever I was in Youth with a Mission, I worked with a ton of inner city churches, and it didn't matter what color skin people were. We're just going to reach the neighborhood for Jesus, and that's the most important thing. But that group of picture, that group of guys in that picture, broke my heart because I'm like, I've worked with guys like that. I've worked with them, maybe not them particularly, but I've worked with them, and it's just like I had a, I had a connection to this guy now that I didn't have before. And it just spoke to me in a a different way. But we're dealing with racism in America. And I've heard so many people say, we just need people to come to the table and something needs to happen, something needs to happen. And I've never heard what that thing is. And I'm somebody that I want to, if there's a problem, I want to do something to fix it. And I want to be a part of that. And one of those things is just having a, a conversation and or, I, I hope that this that this episode, uh, this conversation, will bless people and help 
us white Americans especially to understand more of what what your life is like um, as an African-American man in the United States where I've never dealt with racism. I, I was in South Africa for uh, about three months and I felt a little bit of prejudice uh, at being a white minority at that point, but that doesn't, that doesn't even come close. And so, Jay, can you help me understand what it is like in the United States to be an African-American man? Well, one of the things I would say is that uh, in all fairness to the people that marched in the 60s and the people that were slaves, what we're going through, as atrocious as it is, it pales in comparison to what they went through in those days. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to make it seem like um, you know everything in my life has been segregated against right, or right. anything along that line. Because if you think about it, I mean, in the 60s and earlier in the slave days, I mean, those black men and women were treated worse than animals. I mean, it, the the stories. If anybody ever, if you get a chance, do your research on what they went through, how they were treated. They were treated literally worse than animals. Mm. They were beaten, they were raped, they were uh, sold off from their families, they had no rights, they couldn't look white people even in the eye or they would be whipped, um, all of those things. So while I'm talking about these, I talk about it giving thanks to people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, John Lewis and other people that marched, uh, uh, Jesse Jackson and, and people that had paved the way for in 2008 to see President Barack Obama become president. Um, but I have experienced uh, profiling at times. Uh, when we were on the set here, we had a, a, a woman that opened up and talked about how uh, she was pulled over and forced to walk and there was nothing wrong with her and they brought another cop car and just humiliated her. Um, I haven't had that, but I've been in parties where I, I shared with you guys a little bit before about I was at a party one time when I was younger as a teenage boy and it was a predominantly white people in a white neighborhood and me and a couple of black friends went over there and I think some of the women there, the lady girls at that time, uh, found us attractive. Because you are. Are. Yeah. Hey, Thank you. Appreciate that. And so as a result, all of a sudden, these guys said, get these, I'm going to use the word, they said, get these niggers out of here. Um, let's get them out of here. And so we overheard it, mm -hmm. and all four of us had to get out of there, and we had to run out because we were outnumbered. We couldn't have taken them all, and so we left out of there. And I've had situations where I dated people, and I, I dated one girl one time, and she said, uh, he said, what is he? Is he uh, uh, Italian? Uh, because <laughs> he didn't want, and I do look Italian or Puerto Rican or whatever, but I was mixed, and they didn't want me to be black or, you know, going into different stores and people kind of looking at you funny, and you can kind of tell they're following you around and looking back. That way um, so it, it's not as bad as that but it still exists John mm -hmm. and that's why we see with uh, George Floyd uh, the horrible uh, atrocity of that and the sad part about it if I'm not mistaken one of the guys was Mexican or Latin American and the one of the guys was mixed Mm -hmm. uh, there was an Asian guy there too. An Asian guy. So I mean, it was funny how everybody was there, but it was the white man mm -hmm. uh, with the knee and the neck. And uh, it's too bad that they did not speak up at that right. moment. Right. But right. Uh, but anyways, yeah. uh, being an African American man though in America um, can be hard. Uh, but we've seen we can overcome mm -hmm. because you can't become a black president uh, if. You, if you, if, I mean, that's the most powerful seat in the world. So right, right. it's still here. Um, it has affected me, uh, but not in the degree, though, that um, you know the people in the '60s and things like sure. that. I can still vote. I yeah. can still go into a store. I do have rights, but unfortunately, with George Floyd, we're still still seeing John that it's out there, and we have to address it. Yeah, and honestly, I, I give credit to my parents. Okay, I grew up, I was homeschooled, and. Um, 
our neighbors to the next of us, uh, like right next to us, and like the, for the next three houses, were all African American, and we loved them. Three doors down was Mrs. Lester, and actually her family were the ones that like owned most of the neighborhood property because um, I didn't. I found this out way later, but because they were African American, people wouldn't just sell them an acre of land. Mm. Uh, yeah. They actually had to buy the entire parcel of land that was, I forget how many acres it is, because people were afraid that they would bring down the, the property value or whatever. I mean, this was back in the back in the late 1800s or early 1900s or something like that. Um, but I just knew her as Mrs. Lester. I didn't know all the stuff that, that she went through. But my mother, when my sister and I were, were kids, we would go over and visit Mrs. Lester and just listen to her tell stories. And we would take books over and just read with her and just spent time with her. And I just thought that that was normal. And there was one day that I didn't want to go over because I was probably playing with Legos or something and I just didn't want to uh, stop what I was doing. And my mother pulled out the Bible and she said, John, the Bible says that we're to go and take care of the widows and the orphans. And Mrs. Lester is a widow. And... I don't remember this so much, but she said that I put down my, my toys and said, okay, if that's what the Bible says, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so for me growing up, racism wasn't something that that I was aware of because she was just my neighbor and her stories were fascinating. And we were the only white people that went to her funeral. Wow. And um, looking back at that memory, I think that is such a great memory that I have that my parents were intentional with that, with that. And I know that humans aren't naturally racist. Racism is taught, exactly. but it's also caught. Right. And I thank God for godly parents mm-hmm. that were intentional about teaching me the right things, not just saying we weren't racist, so he's not racist, but they were proactive in raising us that way. And you and I were talking earlier about how intentional generational things are Mm -hmm. okay can we talk about that a little bit yeah sure well you know let me go back to what you said though about um you mentioned about how it's taught you're right um if you're raised in the right family you don't see color that way right Um, i see it as a beautiful thing exactly you can can get a way better tan than i can for sure (laughs) without without any sun yeah yeah uh you know and i always tell people this keep it a little light here is uh um i remember when i was growing up i was actually racially profiled with black people a lot of people don't know that, but uh, light-skinned black, or they call them high yellow, or things like that, yellow brothers, or things, are names that I was actually called. So what happened, when I grew up, John, um, I never fit in, because I wasn't pro-black. Back in the day, people used to get the continent of Africa, and, you, and they would call me, they'd say, I'm not a true brother, because I was mixed, or a half-breed. Mm. And so the darker you were at that time, the better, and so I was always trying to get my hair like black people because they always had the you remember the gumbies and oh, the yeah, slopes yeah, yeah. and all that stuff i couldn't do that you can see my hair yeah, here yeah, yeah. what's left of it uh <laughs> you know I, mean, I couldn't do all that with my yeah. hair and then like i'd go to my white friends and my white friends they would have straight hair or spiked or right. I, I was trying to do that and i couldn't do it Man. and it took all this time and then I, I, all this time i don't know if i was in my te- late teens my early 20s or when it was it hit me john that i am created beautifully and I never yeah. saw how beautiful I was. And I don't mean it's in any way egotistical. I was like, wow. And this is why I say all this. Black people stay yeah. out of the sun because they don't want to get darker. 
white people try to get into the sun because they want a tan mm-hmm. and they're all trying to look the color of the shade that I am and I exactly. got it naturally. Black people always trying to relax their hair. Yeah. Black women trying to relax it, get it straight. White people, they perm their hair or curl it. And I was like, I can do either one. And after <laughs> I realized, like, I am the mix of what the two want to be. And one day it hit me that like, wow. And I started appreciating my hair, appreciating mm-hmm. who I was, that I was actually a hybrid of two races coming together and how they could not do it by themselves. But when that expression of love came together, they created me yeah. with the hair, the skin, the eyes. People love my eyes. People come to me all the time, man, your eyes are so beautiful. Well, I wouldn't have those if I did not have a black father and a white mom. So I, I say that to say that, you know, it's an expression of love of two people coming together um, and how you have to appreciate who God made you to be. And so I experienced it even from black people to me, John. Mm. A lot of people don't, they, they don't talk about that. Sure, but sure. being light-skinned black is not easy. I, I, it can be just as hard because you're not accepted by either or. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing that I would take yeah. from that. Now, when you yeah. said about being intentional, explain to me, just so I make sure I answer your question right, right about uh, the right. whole intentionality. Yeah, so I guess about raising children. You're the father of two young boys. Mm-hmm. At some point, you're going to have to have a conversation with them yeah. that will be a serious conversation, but it'll be way different than the conversation that I will naturally have with my sons um, if I marry a white woman. So that's just how... How do you raise your kids? How do you raise your kids? How do you stop racism from ever being a thing? You know, I'll be honest with you, John. I, I, I'm new. My, my son is six and four. I don't know if I'm going to sit down and like have a talk, kind of like we need the birds and the bees when yeah. it's time for that. Uh, you know, oh, I guess maybe I would. Let me let me rephrase that. I probably will because I'm kind of thinking this off the cuff, being a yeah, yeah. parent that my kids have not experienced it 100. But it's funny though. Already, I've seen times where my oldest son at six, where we have. Oh, let me say this: my oldest son and my youngest son, when we first were at, we started daycare. We went to this one daycare, and I won't mention the name. Yeah. Um, he had an issue. And um, he bit one of the kids in class, and he was only like two. You and that's know what, what I mean? kids do. And they banned him for a whole week from the daycare, and wouldn't let him come back. And my wife and I thought about it for a minute, and we started thinking. I was like, "This can't be a race thing, is it?" I mean, to the point where eventually they would not let him come back. They wow. would not let him come back. I was like, "He's two. And my wife started thinking he was the, one of the only black kids in there. Mm. And I wondered, and it's hard for me not to go there. I mean, I don't, right, I don't right. pull the race card out because that's not an excuse to fail. I think that's one of the things, too. Mm. It's like, well, I'm racially profiled. Well, even if you are, if, Dr. King, if, Do- if Barack Obama can become president, you can overcome. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way I look at it. And that's the way I gauge my life. Even though it's still out there, we can still overcome. And I remember that happening. And uh, uh, he was too young for me to go into it then. But we moved him to another place. And mm-hmm. it's perfect now. And everything's been great. Okay. And now he's in getting ready to go into kindergarten. But uh, when that time comes, I'm saying I'll to say when that yeah. time comes, John, um, I'll wait probably for them to have a moment. Mm-hmm. And when it happens... I'll address it then. Just how when the kids get to a certain age and they start wondering about sex, it'll naturally come into that. Sure. Um, when, when all of a sudden their friend may not want them around or all of a sudden one day um, they're wondering why I've got a better ability than them. Why did they get the position and I didn't or whatever it might be. Um, when somebody makes a joke, I remember my brothers, I'm sure they probably wouldn't mind when I share this. Uh, I remember I was going to a pool uh-huh. when we were younger. And if I don't forget, I remember one time it, it was this huge pool, all these people there and the guy was sitting on top of the, uh, like, you know, where the, um, lifeguard sit on those yeah. tall chairs and he said oh here comes the two chocolate chunks and he said that in front of everybody 
uh, to my brothers, and my brother was devastated. Oh gosh! And um, not the fact they were overweight when they were younger, <laughs> and uh, and he called them a chocolate chunk, you know, in front of all these people, and they were just devastated. So my dad actually took them in there, and sat down with their supervisor and said, what do you want done? And this is why, the reason why I say this, John, because in the midst of everything that's going on with George Floyd, we can't forget there's a lot of white people out there and all colors that are not Jim Crow. Right. They're not racist, and right. they do have our back. This was back, my brothers are now 40 years old. They were probably eight years old. Mm. And this guy, a white man in a supervisory position, said, what do you want me to do with him? And my brother at eight years old said, around that age, he said, I want him fired and he got fired that day. Wow. So there are people even then, as there is now, that stand up for it. And so I'm saying is that when those things arise, if it should arise, and I'm sure it probably will, I'll sit down with my sons, explain to them my experiences. And also, this is the thing too, John, what does the Bible say? I shared this on air when we were there about the importance. And a lot of times it's hard for people to grasp. It's hard for people to grasp this, that uh, the Bible says Jesus being perfect, he said he was reviled, but he didn't revile back. Mm -hmm. That when he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And then it goes on in verse 24 and says, who him own self carried their sins and by his stripes were healed. So not only did he let them beat him and yeah. all these things, he paid the price. And I'm not saying this that we should be doormats. My point is teaching my kids how to have a just response to racism. It doesn't mean uh, it's okay. It doesn't mean that you become a doormat and do whatever, but it doesn't mean take matters into your own hands. You don't revile evil with evil. You don't cuss them out. You don't do that. There is a way to let justice do its job. And don't, and we can't forget, John, even in the midst of racism, that God is still God. You know, he's looking out and we take matters into our own hands. We take the matters out of his hand. Mm. But when we say, God, I'm going to work your word, which I've seen, if I don't revile, if I treat people the right way, even if they treat me wrong, God steps in and takes that stuff personal. Mm-hmm. Look at what he did to Egypt. Yeah. He stepped in. He said, finally, he said, their cry came up to God, not to Pharaoh. They didn't cry out to Pharaoh. They cried yeah. out to God, and God stepped in and did it. So a lot of people don't like that because it feels like we're a punk. We feel like, but that's the difference. Can I, I'm just going to be real Go with you. Go for it. Go that's for right. it. That's the difference between Dr. King and Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. It was two ways of living in a time of racism. Dr. King said, listen, they're gonna turn the dogs on you, they're gonna spray you with mace, they're gonna do all these things to you, but don't revile back, just keep on marching. Malcolm X said, if they shoot you, you shoot them. It's funny, they both died, but how they died was different. Hmm. It's funny that Malcolm X was killed by his own people. Dr. King was killed by a white man. So it's amazing who killed them. His own people out of the Islamic nation are the ones that killed him. or Muslim nation. Uh, the, the reality is, is what I'm saying is that there's two ways of life you can teach your kids to live. Yeah. You can teach them to love their enemies, do good to them, bless them that curse you. But see, that's so hard, John, because, and that's where people get trouble. Like, Wait a minute, that's crazy, man. If I do that, they'll keep doing it. They forget the word of God and the power of God. It doesn't mean if they punch you, just let them keep punching, just sit right, there and keep right. on taking it. It means I'm not going to hit you back, but what I am going to do is lovingly stand up to you, stand for justice without revolting back in a violent way. And that's what I'll teach my kids is how to apply the kingdom of God in with racism uh, in those areas that maybe they might even begin to win somebody. One other thing that uh, Mahatma Gandhi said something really powerful. He was another one that worked the whole nonviolent re- uh, resistance piece. And he said, he said, whenever your enemy hits you and you don't revile back, it weakens their resolve. And people mm. don't get that. And, wow. it, and it, it, it just softens it. But eventually they start saying, 
you're supposed to hit me back. It stops the cycle. Yeah. And that's what people have to get. So that's what I'll teach my kids when that time comes. That's what I've applied, and that's what's gotten me through those times. I stand up for what's right. I stand up for the injustice, but I'm not going to repay evil for evil because if Jesus could die for me, yeah. And I don't deserve it. And he took all that punishment from me. Right. Surely I can take a couple of bad words or maybe lose a job that he can get the glory, but then stand up for it and allow his power to come in and do something that I could never do with my own hands. You just talked about uh, stopping the cycle. We're in a situation right now where there's daily riots going on for the yeah. last week. Now, there is peaceful protesting mm-hmm. that is going mm-hmm. on, but there are instigators within that. They're using peaceful protest as cover for that we want the we want the protests to happen we want people's voices to be heard and we want action as a result of that we want things to change we want the police to be better we want white america to be better Mm -hmm. we don't want there to be a white america and a black america we want there to be america america it's called the united states for a reason not because of what it is because it's what it's supposed to be Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, you and I were just talking about the, the cycle of that. Mm-hmm. How do we stop? How do we break that cycle in our world today? Well, the hard part about that, John, which goes back a little bit to what I was just sharing, is that it's hard because it's in our nature to want to repay evil for evil. Right. If somebody calls me an N-word, I want to, who do you think you are? You ain't going to talk to me that way. And so now what we're actually doing, I'm now injecting the same hatred to somebody else they gave to me. Right. I am now becoming the very thing I swore to hate. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it for a minute, that's the whole thing about the rioting and the looting. And so as a result, a black man gets profiled, he gets killed. So now what do black people do? They go to black or white and start looting and rioting stores based upon a profile. Right. So now you just did to them the very thing that somebody did to you. I think about even the white people that have had their stores robbed and people have talked about how their whole life's uh, savings was put mm-hmm. into a store. And then people went in there and took it all from them right. because they were white. Yeah. You know? And so people say, how do you destroy That's the- racist too. It, ex- exactly. Exactly. And so people say, how do you destroy the cycle? You have to, this is the hardest thing, and that's why Dr. King was so special. That's why there's a monument in D.C. That's yeah. why we celebrate him, because yeah. he did the hard thing. He loved the people that did him wrong. He did not curse them. He blessed. He stood for what, see, that's what, see, John, this is where people get tripped up. They think because you stand up or because you love them and you forgive them that you can't stand up righteously. They feel like, well, if you do that, you're a punk and you're going to keep getting away with it. No, they won't. There's a way to go about it. So how do you destroy the cycle? You have to forget. The Bible shows us, bless those that curse you. Mm -hmm. Do good to them that spitefully use you and persecute you. Say all men are evil falsely. Jesus showed us the way. Gandhi knew it. Dr. King knew it. But see, our own pride sometimes and our own desire for justice that I'm going to take matters into my own hand stops God from working. Mm. And then it doesn't break the cycle. So what we do now, we repay evil for evil. And so now they do wrong to us. Guess what we're going to do? I'm going to do wrong to them, which only inspires more hate in them. And as a result, it just keeps the cycle going back. So think about all the people, too. My heart went out to the people. My heart goes out to 
all the people that have been affected by racism and the Floyd family. But then I thought about, I was like, wait a minute, those white people or black that had their business looted and rioted, now they have to battle with the same thing that you're battling for. Yeah. Now they're saying, because I, and think about how many white people, John, probably, imagine someone that has a sneaker store or someone that had a, a Rolex store in Beverly Hills or whatever, and they, they looted and rioted that. Think about them now, so now they're battling, they're like, I helped black people, I marched, my dad marched with Dr. King. All, all these things. And then all of a sudden, and you guys did it, now they're battling racism mm-hmm. themselves. Right. And now the hatred, somebody has to forgive. And that's what Jesus did for us. Yeah. He forgave us, took our sins. And then what did he do? The Bible says he gave us healing. Yeah. He took the, think about that for a minute, John. This is a powerful revelation. The Bible says they beat him and beat him and mocked him and all these things. Called him an N-word or a B or whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use. Put him on a tree. He was completely perfect. And what did he do? He brought healing. Yeah. He healed them, the Bible says. So how do I do that? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's a hard and a high road, but it's the only way. That if you look all throughout history, the only way racism has ever been destroyed, documented, has been what? People that were willing to take a licking, forgive, and then bring healing and still keep a spirit of reconciliation to yeah. people that didn't deserve it. Wow. Wow. That is very powerful, Pastor Jay. Um, uh, just to share a little bit of an experience, because what you were just talking about there about the, you know, the, the shop owners and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, they now have the choice to deal on how their response will be. And exactly. a personal story from my own life, and I, I don't share this very often, um, but when I do, it's because the Lord's prompting me. And and when I was in Youth of the Mission, we were I was leading a team to Detroit in 2007, and we were working with some great churches there. And um, one night we were in a neighborhood. And I'll, keep in mind, I'm in, a, I'm in charge of a team of a whole bunch of teenagers. And there is a... a a father and a mother that came along on this trip as well. And our team has white, black, Asian kids on the, on the trip. Um, and so we go into this neighborhood and we do our dance and drama and, you know, have a little block party and tell them about Jesus and everybody's all these, uh, you know, groups are broken up into, you know, they're all the, all of our kids are telling the neighborhood kids about Jesus and people are praying and, um, out of the corner of my eye, I see a vehicle, there are actually two vehicles come barreling up into the neighborhood and they, their, their tires screech to a halt and these guys get out mm. and it turns out that it's a rival gang from another <clears throat> side of town. Wow. They come in and start chasing the gang members that were in that neighborhood and who were being witnessed to by a friend of mine, uh, Chobi, who was sharing his testimony of being in the Chinese triads and really being a bad dude. Uh, but Jesus radically changed his life. And these guys were having the gospel being shared with them. And this rival gang from out of town, from another side of town, comes in and starts chasing everybody. And there are guns involved. And as a, as a leader, um, I... I threw the keys to one of the other leaders and said, get everybody to the vans. We're getting out of here now. And I now have to track down all the kids that I'm responsible for. And I'm in my mid twenties at this point. And, uh, gosh, I'm not early twenties actually at this point. Um, I don't know how they let me be in charge. I guess it was out of necessity, <laughs> but, uh, I would have been 22. Yeah. Wow. wow. Uh, I don't know if I would have trust myself, <laughs> but, uh, no, it was, it was a, it was a great, 
experience being in ministry and being in charge of teams and I had good memories with that team outside of this one but um so we're we're just getting i have i don't even know who is there i just know we're one person short i don't even know who it is i can't figure it out so myself and the dad uh, who was with us driving the other vehicle we got out and we're like we can't leave until we have him or who whoever it is and so we start looking. We 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 put our, we put our lives out uh, in, in danger a little bit, and we're walking around a corner and we hear pow pow pow, and I'm like, oh, this is a little bit more crazy. I need to you know watch myself, and so then we start heading back, you know, trying to make sure everybody's safe, and those vehicles that that pulled into the neighborhood and started the started the trouble there they now pulled around and blocked us from getting back to our vehicles Mm. and 10 guys ended up surrounding me and the father i had a guy chase me down now i wasn't running but he just chased me down he rifled through my pockets and pulled out my wallet and i wear a chain wallet this is because honestly i continue to wear a chain wallet because of this experience Mm. um and they took out the cash and they uh, you know, they, they took out my phone. Um, they didn't grab the credit cards, thank God, because that would have been a hassle to deal with. And I, I'm a YWAMer. I was a YWAMer at that point, so I only had like 20 bucks in cash anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, but I thank God that I gave the keys to somebody else before this happened, because mm. uh, it was a, it was a rental van. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so myself and the and the father that was with us on the trip as a, you know, one of the other chaperones, we're surrounded by 10 guys, and they they start saying just shoot him just shoot him and i hear that from behind me and i don't know what's going to happen next wow i i'm hearing just shoot him just shoot him and up until that point everything that i was experiencing just felt like a super high definition movie that i was watching as like out of like an out of body experience but um at that moment everything just kind of snapped back and i'm like oh my gosh this is real this is actually happening yeah and I, all I could do was say, Jesus, 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 I need you, Jesus. I threw up my hands and wow. shouted, I need you, Jesus. Hmm. And out of nowhere, this guy comes running down the sidewalk. I can still see it. I can't see his face, but I can see him running towards us and say, come on, come on, come on. We got to go. We got to go. You don't need that. Give him his phone back. They threw my phone down at the ground and they all took off. Wow. There wasn't a cop around. I mean, the cops finally came around like 15, 20 minutes later was the next time I saw them. There was no reason for them to leave us alone. Mm. I called on the name of Jesus, and he rescued me. Now, I had a choice. Am I going to look at all black people like like those guys? Right, exactly. Or am I going to choose to forgive and not look at them that same way? And every day I choose to forgive and I don't have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, even though something, something horrible was done for me, I still have some trauma from that. Of course. Yeah. And, but I'm not going to look at my black brothers as the culprits of that. I'm not going to do that. And, but I know it's a choice. And as a, as a white man, I say I, I, I choose to not look at you as 
as somebody that that's gonna that's gonna mug me, that's gonna rob me, that's gonna potentially kill me. Mm-hmm. I choose that. Now, how somebody looks and how somebody acts are two different things, too. And uh, right. so I I do want to say <laughs> that there is there is some wisdom that you need to have. Uh, but in, in general, though, I'm not gonna look at somebody. Based, I'm not. I'm never gonna look at somebody by the color of their skin and say they're they intend evil on me. And I think that's. I hope that that is the right response with that. And I feel that it is. And I pray that I can continue to not let those negative impulses and those negative things come over me. Um, but I, I, I can relate to those shop owners that now this thing has been done to them and they have to choose to forgive. So we well, you know Dr. King said something really good in his autobiography that the hardest thing for him to have done is to uh, maintain um, forgiving um, white people that did him wrong. Yeah, he said that was the hardest thing. He said every day I had to wake up and make a choice. Yeah, uh, to forgive. You know, Jesus said something really good. They said in the end they're going to come to him and say, "What are these wounds that are in your hands and in your feet and in your side?" And he said, "These are the wounds I received in the house of my friends." Mm. You know, it's a you know a lot of times John we read the Bible but we don't read the Bible and we feel like oh that's too far gone. You ever right. you remember certain stories where the disciples say they would say, "Well, who then can be saved?" Mm-hmm. When you talk to people about forgiving, uh, uh, Derek Chauvin. And mm-hmm. people like that forgive them who yeah. then can be saved but see that's the true power of the gospel and salvation is the fact that you can be stuck up i can be profiled the floyd family all of us have the ability to forgive if the same christ that got up from the grave and said these are the wounds i received in the house of my friend if we truly cruci- were crucified with him and we died and he now lives in us that same love that was on Calvary, if we allow it, will set us free from every wound and everything that we've gone through. And then we can now see colorblind and see people through the eyes of Christ if we allow him to crucify that part within us. So it's a hard thing. It's a hard saying, but it can be done, but only through the gospel. Yeah. And Jay, I think something that, uh, that God's been helping me see things, uh, in a, in a, from his, from his vantage point, racism really happens because we stopped valuing people the way that God values them. Mm-hmm. We stopped looking at people mm-hmm. as you are created by God. You are created in the image of Christ and God has a plan for your life. There is value and there is worth in your life. And if God be- if God says that about me, and I believe that about that he says that about you too, mm-hmm. then I treat you with love and respect. That's right. I treat you with, uh, you know, I think about you with the mind of Christ. I value you because God values you. Mm-hmm. When we stop, when we take God out of the equation, if I'm going to feel better about myself, I need to put somebody else down. Mm. If we take God out of the center of that, that's the only way that humanity naturally our state because we're selfish beings i wouldn't necessarily say our natural state is evil but our natural state is selfish and in order for us to feel good about ourselves we push other people down the direct result of that is racism but when you keep god at the center of that you look at each other as if god made me and has a purpose and a plan for my life and there's there's value in me and god made you then i can lift you up and it's going to lift me up too Mm mm-hmm but when we take God out of that, that's what we're seeing in our world today. Yeah. That, that value, that God-given value isn't there because we don't acknowledge that. I just felt like God saying to, to write this in response to uh, what happened. 
mm-hmm. um, because I'm, I'm somebody that it's hard for me to get my voice out there um, because I'm always worried about offending or saying the wrong things. And I know that that's not a good thing. My voice does need to be heard. I need to that's say right. the right things. And um, I wrote a post and I shared it on Facebook about, you know, God made everyone. God loves everyone. God made George Floyd and he loves George Floyd. And also God made that police officer. God loves him too. Um, There's a lot more to this, but um, I want to, at the end of this, at the end of this post, I wrote, let's look at our fellow man in the eyes today and tell him that I see you. I hear you. God made you. Jesus values you so much that he died for you and your life matters to God and to me. And that is what I pray that, that comes out of this, um, is that my, I see the value in everybody mm-hmm. uh, because God puts that value in there. And because God values you and I value you too. I, God loves you and I love you too. Mm-hmm. And I am Jay, I'm so grateful that we met several years ago and have yeah. become real true friends. I mean, I, I know every man looks for, um, you know, fathers and leaders to look up to and, um, friends to share secrets with. And you're one of those guys in my life that, um, I've shared some real, real Mm -hmm. things with Mm -hmm. you and you've prayed with me and you've helped me through some of those, uh, difficult times in my life. And your friendship is something that I truly value. And I just thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you, John, and uh, the pleasure and friendship is definitely mutual. I've always appreciated you as well and enjoyed working with you. And it's great to people that may not know, they probably do now, but <laughs> you're white, I'm black, and be able to work together on air and to share secrets and talk and encourage one another. Yeah. It's always been a blessing. And then I wanted to mention this to you as well. You know, you're a big foodie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about, you know, you think about people that deal with racism. If you've ever enjoyed a chicken wing, if you've ever enjoyed a peanut butter sandwich, yeah. if you've ever enjoyed a peanut butter anything, it came from a black man. George Washington yeah. Carver is one George of my Washington all-time Carver, heroes. Yeah. All-time you know, heroes. So, like, you're eating a peanut butter sandwich, not Jif, and all that stuff. It's yeah. like, dude, that was a black man. Yeah. You know, the Jordan somebody wears. Yep. Everybody wears that jump man. That's a black man. I mean, you can go on and on and on of things where, like, you, if, if people are sometimes wearing the very thing or eating the very thing oh, that yeah. a black man did. And it's like, yep. and it's all about appreciating. You know, I appreciate your background. You appreciate mine. Even our styles of singing and oh, worship. Yeah. And they're different, but I appreciate what you bring to the table, the anointing you have. You appreciate what's in me. They're supposed to be different. Think about how boring life would be. God is not mundane. He's not like one faceted. Mm-hmm. That's why he created black, white, Puerto Rican, Haitian. I mean, you right. make Chinese, all right. these things. So then we, I mean, think about Chinese food. Oh, man. I, Indian food. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. It's like they, they, even their foods are different. Mm-hmm. Soul food. Come on. I mean, who doesn't like soul food? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's something of soul food. Even if you don't like it all. Macaroni and cheese, homemade. Oh, my God. That all came out of the black person's life. Yeah. People don't even know like chicken wings. Like people don't realize how chicken wings came about. Chicken wings came about because black people were thrown the leftovers, mm. chitlins, all that type of stuff. It was black people. They, the white people didn't eat it. So they threw it to the black people. Black people just said, well, man, I'll throw some cornmeal and I'll fry that. <laughs> and here we go. We got a chicken. Wing. We got fried chicken as a yep. result of something like that. You know, and people don't understand like that all came out of the differences right. in our diversity. So Italian food, I mean, it can go on and on and on, right. but uh, it's all because 
they all came out of what God created us to make us beautiful. So I say all that to say that I appreciate you as well. I thank you also for the opportunity to be able to come on uh, your podcast. This would be my second time, yeah. so I'm no longer a rookie with you. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able to yeah. speak on this topic because you could have chosen anybody, John, and you chose me, and I'm honored to have this time with you. And that's, that's because you're one of my dear friends. Thank you. Uh, you truly are. And um, I... I just want to say to everybody that's that's listening to this, um, I'll be providing a link in the show notes to the special that we just recorded. Yeah, um, it is powerful. Good. Very good. Um, Jay was there. Uh, Sydney, who's also been on the podcast, um, Amy, who's also been on the podcast, uh, was there, as well as uh, Flo Demas, who's from Sister to Sister, one of the other shows here at Cornerstone, and Tim Bergen, who is um, a he used to work here. Yeah. He was actually the guy that got me hired here and uh, helped me, you know, helped me actually learn how to t- produce TV. And uh, he's a pastor at a, at a local church now too. Uh, but the conversation that happened during that program, I just want to encourage people to watch that. Yeah. Um, and we even brought in uh, via Skype uh, Cornell Jones, who is the uh, group violence prevention uh, coordinator for the city of Pittsburgh. And basically, he helps churches in the city connect to help prevent violence throughout the city. And that's something that we need to do more of as the church. As Christians, we need to figure out how to help our communities. And because if we're in the communities and people know us, it's easier to forgive whenever something happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so, Jay, I want to thank you for being a part of that and lending your voice to that and your experience. And thank you for allowing me to join you along your way, my friend. But uh, hey, have me back anytime. I'd be honored.